0: Welcome, everybody, to The Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we have Mr. Justin Dry of VinoMofo. Now, Justin is a absolute whiz when it comes to two things, business and wine, right? <laughs> he is amazing, we cover off some of some of his story about how he grew his business um, with some wine chat in between as well. Now there's many interesting things in this one and I've got to say, I, I want to go back and I've listened to it again and again after this chat because there's been some really cool insights. So I highly encourage you, if you're someone who's interested in finding out how these guys not only really grew a huge company here in Australia and around the world, but also how did they create partnerships with some of the biggest wine names um, literally around the world as well in some of the uh, the countries like France, Italy, Australia, and some of the real specialist wine regions. So it's safe to say it's a really cool chat. Now, I highly encourage you to share. If you know someone else that loves wine, maybe just loves drinking wine, or someone who wants to chat about growing a large business, this is going to be one that you will not want to miss. So of course, if we can help you grow your business with marketing or advertising, you can always check us out over at www.mobilecall.com. There to help you if you guys need. But without further ado, let's jump into the show.
1: Justin, thank you so much for making the time to chat to us today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here, buddy. It's great to have you. So I always like to start my podcast off with the same question for everyone, which is, if we bumped into each other at a party and we were just chatting with each other and it was just a general conversation, I said, Justin, what is it that you actually do? What is your go-to answer?
2: I don't actually have one. I basically run an online wine retailer called Vino Mofo. We operate in three countries. It was launched in 2011, being one hell of a ride with have We've won, you know, the fastest growing tech company in Australia. We've won a bunch of awards early. We raised some money. We made some mistakes. Learned that your role as a founder changes a lot over time, you know, from doing everything to being more specialized to being a leader of people. And it's been, you know, it's, it's been a very big learning experience. <laughs> plenty of mistakes made, but plenty of good stuff too. I love that. Now,
1: I want to dive into one of the things there, because you said, obviously, fastest growing tech company, right? Which a lot of people probably wouldn't think when they think of, you know, when they think of wine. Like, tell us a little bit, how did that come about?
2: That was actually, yeah, I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because like most companies are tech companies now, I guess, in that same light. But we got nominated, Matisse is like four months old. So we're just getting through the sleeping thing, sidetracked completely. That award was by Deloitte. Uh, So Deloitte Mm -hmm. run this thing called Tech Fast Fifty, and so it's nominated by them. They look at the growth rates over like a three-year period. So it's really their criteria. They we got nominated for that, and we ended up winning that in I think it was about two thousand and sixteen, fifteen, sixteen. And you know, it's and we've been on it probably four or five years in a row. So over those next kind of years, and so it's it was a great award to win. I mean, we'd won lots of things like you know best startup, best online you know player you know, there's social initiatives, like a whole bunch of things. But that one was like quite a big one and quite a serious one. And it kind of took us to a, to a new level in terms of that, because we've been such a startup and we've been so involved and connected to the startup community. And that was like the first kind of, I guess, award that was from, you know, like a much more kind of corporate, you know, big traditional player. And so we've become on the radar of, of that kind of circle. So that was interesting. And that's, I guess, you know, tech company, yes, tech enabled, I guess, we're all kind of tech companies now.
1: Yeah, that's awesome I love that I'm um, so interested because yeah we uh, I consider what we to do We do where Facebook and Instagram ads like kind of techie in that space so it's always just interesting to see how they kind of categorize things and uh, for me but so take us back to when you got started so what was it that got you started into going down this track to building now what's a from all purposes tremendously successful company what made you why was it the love of online like what kind of like drove you to, to get things started?
2: Yeah, look, wine was a big part of my life. My ancestors planted some of the first vines in the brossa, so I guess it was in my DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, force-fed wine at family gatherings from uncles that were in the industry. (laughs) My immediate family wasn't in the industry. They definitely loved wine. But I was kind of (laughs) force-fed... Uh, you know, these Christmas events where my, I was only like 14 or 15 at the time, so completely wrong, but right at the same time. <laughs> and uh, they would get me to do like blind tastings, like, you know, uh, tell them variety, region, vintage, and they'd guide me through it. I had no idea, but I learned through that. And then by the time I was 18, I was a full kind of wine nerd. So I ended up studying at uni. I worked in the industry for quite a few years. And then at about 23, decided that maybe it was a passion, not a profession. Thought I'd check out some other stuff. I'd always been interested in business. My you know, dad was, back then, it was more like kind of probably called salesman or saw the ups and downs of that. And so I was always interested. We were always talking about business in our family. I guess I was an entrepreneur plus I was also interested in wine. So those two things kind of coming together. I left the industry at about 23, became a stockbroker that was about the time of the tech boom late 90s so everything i touched turned to gold which was nice and then i was still there in the early 2000s when it all came crashing down so i didn't look as smart and then i left that and did property development i bought some land no money down and convinced the guy to give me the land and pay him much later i built 15 places on that land sold them all off the plan and then built another 28 on the land next door then that got a little bit tricky i I signed as a guarantor for someone I really cared about and that didn't end up very well for me. So after making all the money in my 20s, I lost it all. I had to start again, that was about the time I decided to get back into wine, probably because tasting wine at that time seemed like a good idea. And I, the first one I got back into was online and it was called Quaff, and that was in 2006 and that was like a Facebook for wine. It built up quite an audience, but the business model sucked and so I didn't really make any money. First Christmas, I think when we had that company was uh, like $30,000 before expenses between two people. So pretty average Christmas. Rolled that into another business, which was a great Australian wine adventure. We did another one called Road to Vino, which was us traveling around in a combi, tasting wine and surfing. And we filmed it and turned that into a show. That was some of the great times. And that all then rolled into the final one, which we're talking about, which is Vino Mopo. And that came up with this idea in about 2010. Rolled all those three businesses into it in 2011, and this one really took off.
1: When you then started v- Vina Mofa with all that other sort of stuff behind you, what was because obviously, I mean, for anyone to so say you're you're really like an aggregator, you bring all of the different wines that people can choose from together, and obviously, as you say, you, and you, you do a pretty good good job of putting some really nice wines in there as well ken uh, ken blowford one of my, who leads my sales team he's a fan and i think he spends half of his commissions on wine he's got the, the chosen selection for us in the office and then i was asking him about this the other day as well When we were talking about it like, what was your what was the first deal when you go cool we want to we want to provide these uh, great choice of wines what was one of the first deals that you went cool, we're going to go try and get this wine to come on board with us
2: and how did you negotiate that deal we built great relationships through the previous years and businesses with the producers. We'd always focused on small to medium producers. They were the ones we were most interested in. Wrote the show road to Vino was us traveling around that combi, like basically we were sleeping on people's couches, having long lunches with them, drinking way too much wine, getting really connected with the people that were living and breathing the industry. And they become they became some of our best friends. And when we were starting that show, we identified who we wanted to hang out with. Basically, we were just a couple of wine nerds that were fanboying on all the legends of the industry. So we were like, all right, who are the legends that we want to get to know and hang out with and hear their stories? And who are the small up-and-coming rock stars? And so we did this giant list. We asked them to be on the show. We travelled in the combi and we got to meet them through that. And through that kind of journey and the other businesses, we built up this great network of producers. So when we wanted to sell wine later on, We just called our friends, basically, and we were like, all right, so we want to focus on small to medium producers, people that actually give a shit about what they're doing, you know, so premium to super premium wine. But we introduced that model of like daily deals. That's how we started. So we were selling these amazing wines at prices that people had never seen before. Um, The only way we could do it was because we had such great friendships with these wine producers. And so the first, I think the first one we did was a Gemtree, McLaren Val Shiraz. We had, you know, a few lined up before we launched because we had to get ready. And it was only a deal a day at that stage. So, you know, now we've got hundreds of wines. So it's not, you know, it's still super curated because there's, you know, two and a half thousand producers and, you know, probably 10 or whatever wines each. So there's lots of wines available in Australia and we only ever feature like one to 200. So it's super curated, but still it's a lot more than what we started with, which was one single deal a day. Um, it was so funny though, at the start, We're like, I wonder if this is going to work because we've never really done like the model we get and it's working globally. You can see it in other industries, not in Mm -hmm. our industry. So we were the first in our industry to do that. And so then we were going, I wonder if this actually worked. We've got this great audience that love wine. They're a younger kind of demographic. They are very aligned with our brand, which is we love wine, but don't be a wanker. Like no bow ties, no BS, but you know, you can be passionate about wine, but just don't be a wanker. And that's kind of the brand. And so we're like, we've got this great audience. We've got a great network of producers. I wonder if people actually buy through this model. And then the first day we launched, we sold out like super quickly. And it was we'd sold more wine in that one day than we'd sold in the previous business within a month, you know? And so then yeah. we're like, I wonder if we've maxed out our list. And so we did the next deal the next day and then that sold out again. And that was even more. And then we're like, oh, certainly. Like, we're absolutely we've maxed out our list now and then the third day we sold even more again and we we're like oh my god this is crazy what is happening here and it just kept going up and up and up and then you know all, you know we hit our first hundred thousand dollar a month then it was our first hundred thousand dollar week and then it like it was just it was just a crazy ride early and we got lots of pr got lots of attention our biggest growth in customers was through referral because people were loving it so much it was just a really interesting fun challenging crazy period that's amazing and i think it's it's
1: very important what you said there which is obviously like because i think some people jump into businesses and or industries and they just they go for a kind of cold and as you said like you already built up not only the relationship with the producers but also the relationship with the audience that wanted like that were interested in that as well so you kind of almost had like a, a pretty much a perfect storm right where you had both sides that you had their attention
2: yeah exactly we had we brought together a you know a network of producers an audience and then a business model and those three things when they kind of came together at the right time worked for us and you know it's it's one of those funny things where you go where well, I think not knowing a space or an industry can be really good because you know the ignorance there can make you challenge traditional thinking so that's great mm-hmm. but then also building up relationships and understanding the industry to a degree is also really powerful so it's like we had this nice kind of middle point where we didn't know it enough to know what you didn't do. And then we <laughs> knew it enough to have the contacts and, and, you know, the audience. So it was it was one of those kind of things. You know, I, I think there's so many things that go to being successful in business, but a big, you know, chunk of that is timing and luck. We've all got to work hard. That's just, mm-hmm. you know, a prerequisite to achieving anything. Uh, but outside of that, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of luck and timing. And Vino Mofo was the perfect storm.
1: Yeah. No, I love that. And what about when obviously you're getting the producers on, you already built relationships with, was there, after you started, was there any producer where you were just like, yes, like that's my ultimate kind of fanboy high five moment when you got them on board and you were like, I always wanted to get like to do something with them and you managed to bring them, bring them in.
2: Yeah. There's there lots of those moments actually. Cause I, you know, I've loved wine for so long that there's so many producers that I've got a really good connection with. I think early, there was like many, one of the most kind of famous deals we did early was with Enfolds and it was a St. honore mm. and you know, they're not like a small to medium, they're kind of large uh, producer, but you know, I'm probably on the upper end of medium to large, but their St. honore is a, it's a delicious wine and it had, it had a special place in my history just through events where I'd drunk it, you know, whether it was a family gathering or a birthday or an anniversary or whatever that was. And so when we got that, we did probably three or four deals with Saint-Henri and it was half price and it was a secret deal. So no one knew. And then it was really special for me because you know everyone else was selling it at that stage. This was years ago. Most people were selling it for about 90 or $100, $110. I think we sold the first one at 45 And so it was a secret deal. No one knew what it was when they ordered it. And then it turned up at everyone house, And they're like, oh my God. And we're <laughs> like, yes, that was, that, was a, that was a nice moment. And then there was lots of, kind of small cultish producers that we did. Clarendon Hills was one of the kind of highlights for me. We did a back vintage of that. It was a 99. It was a Shiraz. I think they called it Syrah, which is the same thing, but just a different name for the variety. It was a Leandra, I think, Syrah, and it was 1999. We sold it at like half price, and um, we sold it all out really, really quickly, and I bought a couple of six-packs for myself, And it became a wine that I opened up with my two best mates for many years, special occasions. And it wasn't probably the greatest wine I've ever had, but its connection to one, it was a great producer, an interesting producer that was highly sought after. Two, it was this back vintage. And three, it became a wine of a moment, which was Mm. my best mates and I sitting around a dinner table talking shit and just connecting, you know. So it was like one of those really special moments too.
1: I love that. That's, that's cool. I love the story, the, the story behind it. And I think with anything, it's like, it's, as you say, it does tie it to to a moment. And I remember it, it probably has been one of the better wines that I tried, but I got a bottle. I did a, um, I'm a big fan of Contra deals. So I did a deal with a client where they needed some work done for a messenger, messenger sequence and bot and things like that. And they yeah. said, look, I don't have whatever the price was, but I do have a bottle of Penfolds Grange. Like, can I use this to go towards it? And I was like, yes you can of course like i'd be (laughs) foolish not to take that deal so i took that and that was my um 30th birthday my uh my dad and my brother were sitting here and we drank and like i was like well they're all like well you know dad's not a huge wine person he doesn't mind it but again he's you know it's normally probably probably the maximum he's ever spent on a bowl of wine is 20 bucks yeah so we got this one we poured it out and my brother and my dad are sitting here like literally around the kitchen table and i was like this is ridiculously good so i that's like etched in my memory again not doesn't really matter the value of it but it like tries me back to that moment every time i see or hear someone talk about penfolds or penfolds grange it like immediately brings me back to that moment
2: yeah it's one of those beautiful things about wine. i think the the moments yeah it's just it's a nice kind of reminder of special moments in your life like i yeah i'm the same i had a penfolds grange for my 18th birthday it was I, i gave up my uh i gave up my birthday which my parents said said that they would pay for and would have a few kegs. And, um, you know, my friends come over would do it at, the hu- at my friend's at my house. And I said, hey, do you reckon I could use all of that money into one bottle of wine? <laughs> really want to try it. So I got my birth year. I remember walking into the store to buy it and I don't think they could believe when I was old enough to that I could afford it. <laughs> and so I was, oh, it was so exciting carrying it back to the car. I was holding it with two hands to not drop it because <laughs> <laughs> it was the most expensive thing I'd probably ever held. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was a really special moment sitting around and, you know, I opened it, decanted it and every, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes I'd walk past the decanter and smell it as it evolved into the decanter. And then I just had it with my parents and they cooked a really nice meal and I still remember that night really, really well. It's just funny how wine can do that, it can bring you straight back. And, you know, you've got that part, which is really beautiful. And then the other part is that, you know, you're bottling a moment in time with wine, mm. you know, like, a, you know, a particular year. I remember uh, hearing a great story by one of the great champagne houses. And we tried like a really old vintage of champagne. And it was, it was from the uh, First World War. You know, it's like there was some crazy stuff happening in their country, and there they were picking the grapes to make the champagne, and it's a bottled moment. And I, you know, it evolves in the in the bottle, which is amazing as well. But it's just you're capturing this moment in time. I think it's really special, and you can get really carried away with how romantic and beautiful that is. But I love it.
1: Being that you've tried you've tried a huge and probably tremendous array of wines, and obviously there's the moments with wines, there's everything that goes with it. Is there one where you've just said like? you believe this has been the best, like just purely on taste, this has got to be one of the best tasting wines that I've ever had.
2: Yeah, I get that most days. I love Barolo and Barbaresco, which is from Piemonte in North Italy. I drink those as my kind of special occasion wines quite regularly. And also Chardonnay, some great Chardonnays out of Australia, but also out of Burgundy in France. They're really, really special. I still remember the first kind of serious Burgundy I had was at a restaurant in Sydney and I, it just floored me. I could barely speak for half an hour at how good it was. Same things happened with Barolo and uh, Barbaresco's out of Italy numerous times. They're just amazing and, you know, I need some age on them, but I'd say that probably Barolo or Barbaresco would be my kind of go-to that kind of have those moments where you're like, mm. I'm just going to stop talking now and just focus on how wonderful this is. Uh, so I've got a couple of other questions I want to ask. And so Ken on my, as I say, Ken
1: on my team is a huge fan of Vino Mofo. And as I said, he's always buying I'm from you guys. And we've always got these nondescript boxes rocking up at the office. Mm-hmm. He's asked a couple of things. And one that I think is good, which is obviously kind of tying into what you mentioned there, which was you're obviously expanded from Australia. You've got wines coming in from many different places. I know you've also, you've done a, a cool deal with Gary Vee and Empathy and things like that. From having the Australian base, like how how do you enter into those markets? Is purely because that you go look, we've got tremendous volume of people that we can get you in front of. Or like, how do you then go and approach those places outside of that? Yeah, that initial network of people that you had, and then kind of step up and out into other areas.
2: Yeah. So in terms of getting great producers on, you mean. Yeah, so like you're yeah, going out and then yeah, yeah. bringing those deals through to Venomofo. So, say in Italy, France, Spain, South Africa, South America, the wines that we bring over there, because our model is so focused in terms of like our list is curated. So, instead of like a Woolworths or a Coles and they've got like 20, 30,000 SKUs of wine, we'll have like, you know, 200 at any one time, which means it's super focused, which means the volume that we actually sell is huge compared to everyone else. So even against the big guys, we sell a lot of wine because we're so focused in the premium, super premium end of the market. So that helps. When we go to a producer, instead of saying, oh, we'll take five cases or 20 cases, which most stores or other players would do of a particular wine, we can buy it all generally. you know, We can go in and go, what what have you got left? We'll take it all. And so one is the volume play where people are like, oh my God, rather than having to deal with You know, 200 different retailers or outlets or players in this space. We can deal with one and Mm. they'll move it really, really quickly and they'll be back for more. That's one thing. And two, we're in, you know, three markets. We're in New Zealand, Singapore and Australia. And so distribution into multiple global markets is very rare in our space. Mm. Very few people that can do that, if at all. And so we do that across those different markets. So that's also appealing. We handle all the logistics and stuff ourselves. There's no middlemen. So we go straight to producer. We build great relationships. We cut out all the costs, which means we can sell it at a better price and still give the right margin to the producers. So that's kind of another plus. Things with the the Gary V thing was he's been a mate of mine for ages and the guy that he's in business with, John Troutman Trouty, is a really close friend. Of mine and so that's how that came about they were getting lots of interest from the you know markets all over the world for their wines but they couldn't service those markets easily out of the states you know liquor licensing's complicated so they called me and we'd been looking to try and do something together for ages anyway and so they were like oh how would you feel about that and I was like of course if that means that we get to hang out more and we get to travel me to the states and you to Australia more that sounds amazing so that's how we did that one. That's cool. I love that. So then for
1: going forward for you guys, is there anything kind of, because it sounds like to me it's like you guys worked really hard and you've got many things all working on the upwards. Is there any kind of big things coming up that you're focusing on that uh, you see kind of changing in and amongst the industry and what you guys have got going on with the way that the world's changing at the moment?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. There's so many conversations going on at the moment about that. So I'm really trying to encourage my team to be thinking medium to long term in the current environment and just how much the – economy, the market, people's buying behaviors, changing have changed and will forever be changed. You know, I think a lot of people get kind of focused in what do we have to do right now? And, you know, yes, our business is going through the roof at the moment. We're growing really, really quickly. We can barely keep up with, with buying enough wine because we're selling it so quickly. So, that, so we're in a really exciting phase as a business, which feels very weird because a lot of people are struggling right now. So it's just one of those weird things. There's a lot of people I care about are struggling, but our business is, is really growing fast. So we're having to cope with that as it is. But then also the industry has completely changed. You know, there's restaurants... And bars, wine bars and clubs are all closed right now. So what does that mean? It means that 40 to 60% of the small to medium producers' sales have now been cut to zero, which means mm-hmm. they're massively you know, struggling and they need to find new channels. And they're going towards direct-to-consumer, obviously, because it makes sense. There's a higher margin and they need to. And it's one of the few channels still available. Looking for other partners that can take on more, which is where we come in. So... It, the market has changed. People are adopting online quicker. You know, that's accelerating because they're at home. It's one of the few channels left that they can do. There's health and safety, kind of fears around, you know, going out and, you know, the social distancing thing. So all, these, all of these are impacting and changing landscape like now. But the funny or more interesting thing is, what does that look like in the medium to long term? You know, like even when restaurants and bars are back, there'll probably be social distancing restrictions so that's the kind of medium term even it can be back at full steam you know we don't know when that is but even when it can be i think it's going to have impacted people's behaviors they're they're staying at home they're more conscious of health risks Um, they're going to be more conscious of crowded places they're going to be more used to cooking at home buying online the distributor and wholesale market would have mostly gone away in the short to medium term. So it's just a different landscape. So what does it look like then? And that's what I'm trying to get the team to think about. What are the opportunities and what are the challenges that are going to happen once this immediate impact is passed? Yeah. No, I think that's great to to think about because obviously for a lot of people, it's very easy
1: to only look at what's in front of you right now or the next couple of months. And then you do have to kind of adapt and adopt towards that. So it's always interesting one to go see what's going on at the moment. Now, I want to be respectful of your time. And I've got one final question for you here as well, which is, I like to ask this to everyone. What's one question that I didn't ask you that I should have?
2: Maybe about all the stuff I didn't do well. Give, it, give us the top, the top one. What's the top one when you're like, oh, I really didn't do that well. There was when we got to about four or five years in, uh, we did a capital raising because you know in the first you know three or four years we were profitable and growing, we didn't need the money, and then we finally decided that we'd take on some money to you know grow even faster and take some money off the table, and we raised a big around twenty five million. We took fifteen off the table, uh, left ten in into the business so we could, you know, the off the table was to say thank you to early shareholders um, that had invested and supported us. And then the 10 that went in was going to uh, grow the business globally, which we did, you know, went into New Zealand and Singapore, so they were good moves. But it was also to double down in Australia on marketing. The mistake we made was rather than doubling down on what we knew, and that was, you know, digital, social, we, we went kind of above the line for a big chunk of that because we you know, were convinced that with the above the line, the efficiencies below the line would be so much better and that it would pay for it. Well, it didn't. And uh, we we wasted a little bit of that money. And so that was probably one of those decisions where I went against my gut and we've since learned from. But I guess as with all these kind of big uh, mistakes that you make through the journey, you learn, you learn a lot from them and we're far better because of it. So Yes, it was probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made in business to go against my gut and go traditional when we'd always been, you know, digitally focused. And, but like I said, learned so much from it. So uh, do I regret it? Probably not. Well, not fully. There's always a little bit where you like, yeah. Yeah. I you, know, I hate it. you know, when people say, oh, no regrets, it's like bullshit. Some, <laughs> regrets. some regrets. Some regrets. Yes, <laughs> you learned from it. You made the most of it, you know, but there's a little bit there.
1: Yeah. So again, I, I thank you so much for your time. really appreciate it. And if people want to, obviously, people can connect and check out, you know, MoFo, if they want to connect with you more, is there a better place for them to, to see more about
2: what you get up to? Uh, yeah, t- you know, Twitter, Facebook, and of course, Instagram. Uh, it's just Justin Dry
1: yeah awesome so we'll put all those links there and obviously the link to you know, mofo for everyone to check out as well as i said i highly recommend it uh, everyone on my team seems to buy tons of wine from you guys so support you guys on that side too and i think we've got a, a case of empathy on the way as well which is awesome oh. so I'm looking forward to trying that out
2: yeah awesome um, well i think we're just about to release the the white and the red in australia too so that's that containers just landed so that should be up in the next week or two beautiful easy yeah. done well again thank you so much justin really appreciate your time pleasure mate great chatting Cheers.